Anybody else love Darling Side? Yeah, oh, there was, yes, Teresa, wonderful. Hey, um, God is the God of hills and valleys. It turns out he's also the God of fire and ice. I was um, at my uncle's memorial in Southern California yesterday, drove through the fires, got back at 10 o'clock last night, and welcome to the snow. So, um, hills and valleys, fire and ice, and he meets us in it all, doesn't he? If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we're journeying through the life of one of Israel's ancient prophets. His name is Elijah. We met Elijah. He sort of jumped onto the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17. You can start opening and flipping there with me. 1 Kings chapter 17, where he burst into the king Ahab's palace and declared, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. Doesn't exactly make you a lot of friends. And so Elijah quickly found himself on the run, led by God to the wilderness, the place at Cherith, where he was both cut down and then built back up. Slowly, shortly thereafter, he went to Zarephath and he met a widow and God continued to build Elijah's faith. And we've sort of seen this this journey Elijah's been on, one where God is growing him and shaping him and molding him into the man of God that he designed him to be. Well, his faith grows at Zarephath, and so much so that he calls out the prophets of Baal. He tells Ahab, have the prophets of Baal meet me, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. They meet on Mount Carmel, and at that place, Elijah challenges them to see whose God is the God of all the gods. And if you remember, if you were here Elijah calls down fire from heaven. Fire consumes this sort of small mountain that they're on. And Elijah, instead of beating his chest and saying, God, you're at work. God, you're amazing. God, you're great, actually runs. Finds himself in the season of depression where he's wondering where God is. And he runs to the wilderness. He runs to Mount Sinai. Last week, Liz Diddy did a great job of preaching that text in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to pick up where she left off today, but I just want to remind you that the context of our passage this morning comes out of verse 3 in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, and it says this, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. He was afraid, and he ran for his life, and he's been on the run, Elijah has, and he's heard the voice of God in the midst of this mountain, in the sort of cleft of the rocks, he's heard God not in the fire, not in the earthquake, and the thunder, but, but God in the whisper. This intimate, still small voice of God declaring his goodness and his love. So the question I want to ask today is, where do you go from there? Where do you go when you've seen the dead raised, when you've seen fire called down from heaven, when you've seen God come through mightily, and then you've had this crisis of faith. God, where are you? God, I'm in fear. God, I've seen you come through once, but I doubt that you can come through again. I don't see your hand, and 
I'm not sure where you are. Where do you go when you find yourself on the mat and you're just starting to get picked up? Here's where Elijah goes. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, to Elijah, say these two words with me, go back. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Go back. When I was in California this weekend, I had the chance to sit with my brother-in-law and my sister at a table, and they told me about their vacation that they took driving to California from Colorado this summer. And they were on I-70, and they had a huge luggage rack on the top of their minivan, and they had just gotten through Eagle and were about to go into the Glenwood Canyon. You know where that is? And they heard this loud sound, and the top flipped off of their luggage rack, and they had a yard sale on I-70, okay? So suitcases everywhere, three little kids, and there's just stuff everywhere. So my, my um, brother-in-law pulls off to the side, and they're running and trying to gather suitcases, and they call this sporting goods store in Grand Junction to say, can we get a new one if we get there before you close? And they said yes, and the sun was going down, and they were in a hurry, and they picked up all the suitcases, and they drove to the sporting goods store, bought the luggage the container. My brother-in-law was installing it, and my little niece, who's like seven years old, says, hey, where's Leah's suitcase? And Leah's my two-year-old niece. And they started counting, well, we have it, it's here, it's one, two, no suitcase from Leah. So my sister sitting across the table from me says, what do you do? And I said, I go to Walmart. <laughs> That's what I do. It's an hour and a half back to the suitcase. I am not going to go by cover of darkness to try to find a needle in a haystack on I-70 when I can go to Walmart and for $30 to $50 replace everything in it with something that's brand new. She says, well, that's not what we did. <laughs> they got in the car, turned around, hour and a half back up the canyon, searching on I-70, found it, not in perfect condition as you can imagine, loaded it into the new luggage rack on top of the car, and went on their way. I hate going back. Who's with me? In fact, I've thought about this a little bit as I've been studying for this message. I, I think in some ways I'm a little bit addicted to forward motion. I like to make progress. I like to see things in the rearview mirror that aren't a part of my life anymore, that I maybe struggled with in the past, but I've moved into a different space. I like to see maybe even as a church, we were in this spot and, and now we're no longer there. I love progress. And if you're anything like me, going back feels like counterproductive energy. It's interesting. That God, Yahweh, says to Elijah, Elijah, I want you to go back, and you'll notice he doesn't just tell him he has to go back, he tells him how he has to get there. Go back the way you came. Elijah, that same path you took down here, when you were running in fear, when you were running in pain, when you were experiencing doubt, when the words of Jezebel rang in the back of your head and you cowered in fear. Elijah, go back that way. 
Go back right into the lion's den, right into the eye of the storm, right into that place of pain. Not just where to go, but how to get there, because we all know that there are a myriad of ways to move forward, don't we? And we could go around that spot. If you look at it on the map, which this isn't going to be all that helpful, I put it up this morning, I went, well, you can't see anything there. So you're just going to have to trust me that Elijah is down actually south off of this map. He's so far south, and what God's calling him to do is to take the same route back from where he came from. And it's this picture of God saying to Elijah, Elijah, I can't grow you beyond your fear. I won't grow you around it. There's only one way I grow you, Elijah, and it's as you walk back into it. In fact, would you turn to the person next to you and say, sometimes you've got to go back. Sometimes you've got to go back. Elijah's being called. Don't miss this. Elijah is being called to look his deepest fear in the face. Elijah is being called to confront his failure. Elijah is being called to look at his doubt, and Elijah is being called to stop running from those things and to actually look at them. But lean in for a moment. Lean in. Because you know, and I know, and Elijah knows that facing our fear, facing our pain, going back, can be absolutely terrifying, can't it? And so we have a lot of ways we avoid it. In our culture, here's what we do. Um, we, we ignore it, right? We go, it's not, it's not there. It's not there. Or we have people sort of help us around it. Right now, um, parenting, one of the dances that as parents, I think we are struggling with is we are in a day and time and culture as parents where we want so badly to protect our kids from pain and from work and from failure, so we're like, let's just fast forward through that. I mean, as a teacher, Kelly and her friends got emails from parents. Why are you giving, in high school, why are you giving homework on Halloween night? Because it's a Tuesday. That's why. Actually, it was a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. They had school that morning. That's why. Like, we want our kids to avoid any sort of pain, any sort of work that's hard. So we'll ignore it. Uh, the, the other thing we do, though, is we numb it, right? That's, this is where addiction comes in. And for some, it's addiction maybe to drugs or to alcohol, but others, it's addiction to things like shopping, right? Just that euphoric feeling of getting something new. It might be an addiction to sleep, an addiction to social media. I mean, you name it. We avoid going to these places of pain by just numbing it or distracting ourselves, here, here's the other thing we do, and this is as old as time. We will run from pain by trying to out-success our failures. So instead of looking at them and acknowledging them and journeying into them, we go, hey, if I can get enough accolades, if I can get enough success, if I can get enough stuff, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be okay. And what happens is we start running from our failure, from our pain, from our doubt, and we end up running our whole life. And some of you, some of you will get to that point where you get all the stuff that you thought would fill that void, and what you'll find out is that you've been running in vain, that none of it actually works. 
And so God in his grace doesn't let Elijah continue to run. He says to Elijah, say it with me, church, go back, go back. Go back and face it because you can't move forward in avoidance. You can only move forward in acknowledgement. I love the way that James Thurber said it. Here's what he says. All human beings should try to learn before they die what they are running from and to and why. What they're running from, what they're running to, and why. And God in his grace says to Elijah, I'm not going to let you run from that stuff for your whole life. It's going to hurt but we're going to face it, and we're going to look it in the eye. And from there, we're going to move forward, because the reality is that our greatest gains often come when we face our deepest pain. Our greatest gains often come when we confront our deepest pain, and God calls Elijah back before he calls Elijah forward. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. Will you just lean in for a second? If we are committed to avoiding our pain, we are also committed to avoiding God's healing. And that's why this is so dangerous, because Elijah could keep running from that fear and keep running from that failure, and he could run his whole life, but it would be like having a cut that gets infected and heals over, looking like it's okay on the outside, but absolutely destroying your body from the inside. It's what could happen to Elijah's soul if he's not willing to look at those things and acknowledge them and invite God into them in a way that would bring him wholeness and redemption and healing that God wants to bring him. If we avoid our pain, we also avoid the healing that God wants to bring. As Socrates is quoted as having said, the unexamined life is unworth living. It's not worth living. And I think it's not worth living because there's no healing in it. If we're not willing to journey there, we can't expect, we can't anticipate, we can't hope that God will heal some of those places in our life that are broken and fractured. And you may, you may have experienced this, you just didn't put your finger on what it was. It might be that in a relationship, you can only get to a certain point with somebody, vulnerability-wise. And you just keep hitting that ceiling. It's like, I invite somebody in this far, right? But then there's some walls up, and you're not getting past those walls. It might even happen in a marriage, right? I'll let this person in, even though we're married, only a certain distance. And what, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. There's something that we're running from, and it's blocking us from the wholeness and life and intimacy that God has designed us to live. It's a pain point that causes a ceiling on our growth. And God says to Elijah, I love you way too much to let you live on the run, to let you live not confronting your fear and your failure and your pain and your doubt, but to actually look at it, Elijah, and to know I'm sufficient for it and to find healing in it. And just so you know, this, just so you're sort of tracking with me, God pulls Elijah back, not so that he lives in the past, but so that he can acknowledge it and grow from it and be moved into the future. Like a slingshot, he's pulling him back so that he can launch him into the destiny that he has for him. And I'm convinced that he wants to do the same with us. So 
here's what it might look like, okay? Because I'm going to ask you to just have a posture towards God this morning where you say, God, is there anything, is there anything that I need to revisit because it's holding me from moving into the place that you want me to move into? The person you'd like for me to become, that you're inviting me to become in more freedom. I, I mean, maybe, maybe for some of us, it's like a family issue that's just been going on for generations, we don't know we're running from it, but if we look back, we go, man, everybody in my family struggled with this. So do I. Maybe for some, it's acknowledging some abuse that took place. Some things that you just love to forget and move on from. But they just seem like they're in the shadows every time you turn around. Maybe for some Christians, for some followers of Jesus, you walk in these doors every single Sunday, and you lift your hands, and you sing the songs, but there's something going inside, on inside where you go, I'm, I'm not sure I'm there. I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe this. And you just try to sort of stuff it down, hoping that it'll go away, but that voice just doesn't seem to be fading. Maybe for some, it's, man, there's this person that wronged me, and there's this bitterness in my past, and over my dead body, am I going to ever hold out forgiveness? And the irony is, you are dying because of it. <laughs> Maybe for some, it's like me. Um, this is my, for me, my journey. Uh, my, my deepest pain, and you know, if you've been around here, you know this. Uh, my mom passed away. I, I, I love my mom dearly. And what I found out in going back with my fam to my family um, again this weekend and seeing pictures what I was reminded of is that this isn't a one-time journey. It's a thing that we often, we cycle through multiple times in our life, right? As we grow and change, sometimes we have to go back and reprocess and process again some of the things that happened in our past and invite Jesus into them afresh so that he can bring a fresh wave of healing and restoration and life. The truth of the matter is that wherever you find yourself, our greatest gains are often found as we engage and confront our deepest pain. And I want to show you this morning how that happens in Elijah's life and really what are these things that he walks away with after he goes back into it. Goes back into that place that you and I would rather avoid. Can we just be honest this morning? We'd rather avoid, right? We'd rather go around. Let's just go a different way, God. And he says, well, actually, in order to become... And, and to be shaped into the people I have you to become, you've got to go through. So what does Elijah gain? I'm so glad you asked that. Let me show you what he gains. Verse 15, 1 Kings chapter 19. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Now, because you saw that wonderful graph I put up, that map I put up, you know exactly what we're talking about. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Mahla to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elijah will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, there's a theme. I've put it in yellow for you. Of what Elijah's called to do. He's called to what? Anoint, right. 
Go and anoint Hazael, king over Aram, which, by the way, is a Gentile nation, often an enemy nation. I said last service, I won't say it this service, but last service, I said, it would be like a Russian anointing the president of the United States. Okay, um, then somebody from Russia came to me afterwards and said, hey, I was, if I'm from Russia, and I'm like, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Too soon, it's too soon. <laughs> Second, anoint Jehu, anoint Jehu, who's going to follow as king over Israel. And then finally, Elijah, anoint your successor. Anoint the person who's going to come after you who's going to take the reins when you're no longer here. What's going on? Like, Why all this anointing business? Here's what happens. When we find ourselves in this place of pain, when we find ourselves in places of fear, in places of doubt, when we're on the run, the only thing we typically think about is ourselves. And so... Elijah's world has gotten really small. He can't see that there's other believers around him. He can't see that God is at work. The walls are starting to sort of cave in on his life. And here's what God does. In saying, anoint these three people, he's slowly lifting his eyes and he's telling him, Elijah, Elijah, it's time, it's time to have a new perspective. I'm at work, Elijah. I haven't left you. I'm still good. And we see things differently, typically when we feel them more fully. And so what's going on with Elijah is he's being broken out of the immediate, out of the pain, in order to see the eternal. And there's two things that sort of stand out to me that God wants to communicate to Elijah. Here's the first thing. Elijah, I'm not dependent on you. Like, you're pretty important for the nation of Israel. But Elijah, I'm not dependent on you, and my mission will go on after you are gone. See, Elijah's part of God's story, not the other way around. Not the other way around. See, I'm guessing Elijah started to believe this lie, it all depends on me. And when he has him anoint others, he's lifting his eyes to go, oh, no, 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 no. Come on, Elijah. I'm at work. I'm in work in great and beautiful and amazing ways. Isn't that humbling? It's humbling to remember. For me, it's humbling to remember that South Fellowship Church will continue on long after I am not the pastor. Praise God. It will. It will. Most of the businesses that you're in after you're gone will continue to move forward. Do you contribute to them? Absolutely. Are you irreplaceable? Probably not. Probably not. Right? Um, most, a lot of Sundays, right before I come up and preach, Larry uh, Boatwright, our executive pastor, usually says to me, don't screw this up. This all depends on you. <laughs> and it's his way of reminding me, this doesn't depend on you. This doesn't depend on you. God, God is... At work, And here's what I want to say to you. It doesn't all depend on you either. You're important. It, de- it matters that you show up. 
But don't miss the fact that God is at work. And this weightiness that Elijah needs to enter into the pain in order to gain a new perspective. The new perspective is, Elijah, I'm not dependent on you. And Elijah, I'm not done with you. In the midst of your failure, in the midst of your shortcoming, Elijah, I'm not done with you. And so some of you have been caught in this place of pain. And here's my message to you this morning. Lift your eyes a little bit. Lift your eyes. See that God is at work. Think beyond the immediate. Think beyond today. Think beyond this year. Think beyond this decade. Think a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, a little bit more about the way that God is at work and his story is being told and you get to be a part of that. What Elijah has done for him is that God breaks him out of his pain so that he can show him afresh his promise. He breaks him out of his pain so that he can show him afresh his promise. And he's calling all of these people, um, Jehu, Hazael, Elisha, none of whom we hear about before this. They don't have a history. They're not the all-star team. They're not the Avengers. They're not whoever else, right? They're insignificant people that dramatically change the course of this nation. And by the time, by the time Jehu and Elisha finish their work, worship of Baal is almost completely wiped out. So here's what he gets in the midst of his pain. He doesn't get this if he goes around it, you guys. In the midst of his pain, he gains a new perspective. God, you're at work. God, you're moving. God, you're not dependent on me. And God, you're not done with me. Here's the second thing he gains. Verse 19. It says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Isn't that like a, a like, can we just picture this? Sometimes we just read over things and we're like, isn't that nice? Isn't that wonderful? It's in the Bible. Like, Elisha is currently plowing and Elijah throws a cloak over him. You can just imagine him being like, dude, I'm working here, okay? <laughs> Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? It's sort of this confusing line, but what it actually means is I'm not the one calling you. God is. So if God, if you're, if God says it's okay to go back, go for it. This isn't my deal. This is God's. What have I to do with you? God's the one calling. And Elijah has walked 150 miles from the mountain at Sinai in order to call Elisha. It's interesting, too, if you read back, he doesn't go in the order that God gives him to go in. It's almost like he has this promise of this partnership, of somebody who's going to walk with him, of somebody who's going to be next to him, and he says, hey, God, if that's possible, I want it ASAP. Let's do that one first. Because here's what he gains. He not only gains a new perspective, but he gains a new partnership. And that has the ability to change everything. 
think we often downplay how much other people can influence us, how much other people can strengthen us, how much other people can encourage us. I love the way that William Blake put it. Here's what he said. He said, I looked for my soul, but my soul I could not see. I looked for my God, but my God eluded me. I looked for a friend, and then I found all three. Then I found all three. See, what happens is as Elijah journeys into his pain, he develops these new friendships, these new partnerships, these people that can lift his arms along the way. I'd be remiss if I didn't on Veterans Day weekend sort of say how, how much that happens. As if you've experienced relationships among people who've served in the military together, right? How they encourage each other, that there's a brotherhood that forms among those people that transcends what we would normally think of as possible. People who've put their life on the line for other people. There's a bond that develops as you walk with each other and as you suffer together. By the way, if you've served, if you're a veteran, I just want you to know how grateful I am for you. We all, we all are. We all are. <laughs> this is why we have ministries like Celebrate Recovery, so that we don't journey into our pain alone, but we can go there with others who can walk with us. It's why we started a ministry called Overcome, where we're trying to walk with people who are struggling with mental health issues. It's really important that we find people to walk with, whether it's a mentor or a friend or a counselor that can help us work through some of the pain that we've walked through and have experienced because it's too good not to walk through it, right? The greatest gains come as we engage our deepest pain. But oftentimes, we need partnership in order to do that well. And look at the way that Elijah just lives this out so beautifully, right in front, or Elisha lives it out so beautifully right in front of Elijah. Verse 21. So he left him and he went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. I mean, do you wonder if anybody's like, hey, 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 like, I'll take over the business. You can pass this on if you want. And what Elisha's saying is, I'm so devoted to you, Elijah, and God, I'm so devoted to you that I'm not coming back to this profession of being a farmer. He was a wealthy man, 12 yoke of oxen meant that he had a big field, probably came from a family of farmers, and he's going, this is no longer who I am anymore. I'm cutting ties with this season of my life. I'm cutting ties with being a farmer, and now I'm moving into this new season. God, I, you say I'm a prophet, I'm going to take you at your word. And God calls Elijah to go back, and he calls Elisha, man, go forward. Amen. Go forward. And here's what Elijah models, or Elisha models for Elijah. He models that, man, this God, this God that's calling both of them is worthy of sacrifice. It's worth, it's worth leaving it all for. He models that, Man, there's this devotion to calling. It's almost with his actions, and as he says to Elijah, Elijah, you got to go all in, man. You got to go all in. Kill the oxen, burn the plow, go all in.
That's what Jesus said to his followers in Luke chapter 9. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back, going, man, Jesus, I'm not sure you're worth it. Not, not looks back to process the past, but looks back to go and live there, <laughs> is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so Elijah is bolstered by Elisha. God's grace to you might come in the form of the people he surrounded you with. They might be the people that you're sitting next to right now. But it's usually as we journey into the pain, into the doubt, into the fear, into those points that we'd rather ignore or go around that we find people to walk with through some of the most significant parts of life. And it's worth it because some of the greatest gains are found as we confront our deepest pain. Three things I want to leave you with today. Number one, number one, I want to encourage you this morning to choose to engage your pain. Choose to engage the things that you'd rather run from and maybe have been running from. Maybe it's, maybe it's people, maybe it's events, maybe it's a mindset, but choose to push in. And here's my conviction. The church has been practicing what, they've, what they call listening prayer or inner healing for generations. And it's simply this. It's simply what you do. If you want to go there this week, here's what you do. You just spend some time in silence. Spend some time listening to God. And then ask this simple question. Jesus, is there anything? Is there anything from my past? Any mindset, any event, anything that still lingers that you want to deal with and that you want to heal? And then you just listen. For some of you, it might be like, boom, that's it, right there, that thing. Some of you might, in that moment, remember things from the past that you haven't thought about in years. And then it's just this process of saying to Jesus, Jesus, what do you want to say to me in that? In that moment back then, where, where, where were you? What do you want to say to me? How do you want to bring hope? How do you want to bring healing? I don't want to live in the past. I want to learn from it, and I want to move forward from it with your healing. What do you want to say with me? And then here's, here's what you got to do. This is hard for um, most evangelicals. Here's what you got to do. You've, you've, you've got to sit in the silence and listen and listen and listen. If you need some help in that, I would love to walk with you and to point you to some people who could be a help for you, really good counselors and spiritual directors. But this is the model of Jesus, friends. This is the model of Jesus, of journeying into his pain so that he can walk towards joy. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you and I, we should consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. Journeyed into it, so that he would grow and offer us joy from it. Second, choose to engage, engage your pain, number one. And second, trust that God's not done. Trust that God is not done. 
Um, like you, I endured as a high school student the book, Great Expectations. And in it, you probably read like I did about Miss Havisham. And Miss Havisham was about to get married. And on the day of her wedding, 8.40 a.m., she got a note at her door from her soon-to-be husband saying, I'm not showing up. I'm not marrying you. I've decided to go a different direction. 8.40 a.m. And that time was significant because she stopped all the clocks in her house. She wore her wedding dress for the rest of her life. And she wore only one shoe because that was the shoe that she had on when that door rang and doorbell rang and that note came. All of time stopped. I think for some of you, you're in this place today and you have this thing that from your past and, and it's caused time to stop. And what I want to say to you is time doesn't need to stop. Time can keep going. It will keep going. You can keep going with it in a healthy manner if you'll invite Jesus into your pain, into your regret, into your failure, into your doubt so that he can move you forward. Please hear me say as clearly as I can to you today, God is not done with you. He's not done with you. And finally, you're not alone. God's not done, and you are not alone. So I just want to take a few moments as we close our time together today. We're going to sing a song that I hope sort of lets this sift down in our lives a little bit. But I just want you to close your eyes. You can put your notes away and I just want to create some space to ask the Spirit of God where he wants to do with this message in this text. So would you just close your eyes with me? The Spirit, I pray even right now in the quietness of this moment, there's some things that we're running from some things that we're trying to have enough success to cover over things that we're trying to numb things that we're trying to avoid maybe like Elijah it's a fear or a doubt or a failure maybe it's something in our family that's been there for generations Maybe it's something that was done to us or something we did to someone else. Jesus, today we want to be empowered by your spirit to with boldness and hopefulness look those things in the, in the face instead of running from them. We want to go back to them. We want to go back into that place so that in entering into the pain, we might also find your healing. Spirit of God, restore, please. Spirit of God, bring peace, please. Spirit of God, breathe hope over this place today, Jesus, please. You know those hearts that are crying out to you. Meet them, please. Meet them. Meet us. Meet me.